Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. this episode the conversation continues with Jutta Eckstein an independent coach consultant and trainer based in germany in the first part yuta shared her origin story and also how she got into team coaching and what her approach was about starting with a few questions particularly with clients having prior experience with change we concluded that with a question that i asked her if she discovered anything surprising in these initial explorations we continue the conversation with what she found in those initial explorations and that one pattern particularly about leadership that she found how having a common purpose helps in aligning the team members together and how it creates a better buy in in the work she's been doing with Diana Larson on a book i asked her about how she is able to manage time to do so many things and she shared that one of the tips that has helped her is something that she got from Alistair Coburn which is the question of what is the maximum money you want to make in a year a very different way of looking at things and thereby being able to manage time better we then move on to her thoughts in terms of the sustainability theme around the social environmental and economic pillars and finally her career tips for people looking at the area of it and sustainability listen on so in that process that is the corollary question were there any surprises that you discovered any stories because uh, we don't want details of the organizations and so on where uh, they probably thought that something needs to be fixed and through the process of your reflections and inquiry you discovered that probably there was something else that needed greater attention that's maybe one pattern that i see more often In, along those lines which is um because i also have that that reputation in in the agile field then people call me in because of some agile something hmm. and they think they have a a problem in their i don't like that term but i still use it transformation mm-hmm. i would more call it it's a journey and not like a transforming something mm-hmm. um anyway and um and then the surprise more for them and i'm not sure if they would admit it this way but later i'm actually working more with the senior management because it's most often on that level that makes it easier or harder to to make that actual journey a success and and often it seems people well the people who call me in sometimes think the people around them need to be fixed okay. and very often it's a sign that they need to do some reflecting and to think what they can do to support them better 
And now I'm not sure if we should publish that. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a pattern. It's always about you know, something else that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In many of our engagements also, we find that uh, it's a mix of uh, personal or introspection, what you can do differently or understand yourself. We say that's that managing true. outside and... by mastering inside. Now, that's the theme. That right. Right. Yeah, that's also good. And, uh, which is also related that sometimes people think it's more a technical thing mm-hmm. and not a social thing. And then looking at the technical aspect typically makes obvious that there is a social thing where the problem really lies. Mm. So I thought it is also about the uh, the work culture or again, the term culture is very uh, probably used in all kinds of contexts. Uh, but essentially, when we call software development as a team sport, right? Different mm-hmm. roles have to come together and ultimately deliver that experience or value for the customers. Mm-hmm. In terms of getting them aligned to that common purpose, as a coach, what do you see as either some of the challenges or how do you kind of uh, switch between, let's say, a teaching style or a coaching style? Mm-hmm. I think the key to it is really that common purpose mm-hmm. and often that's not there. Mm. It's also sometimes that just somebody said like you five people are now a team without really, what is it that brings that team really together? Mm-hmm. And and perhaps I'm over simplifying here, but I have really seen that. And then they do like a stand-up and they all are bought because it's meaningless to each and every one because they don't have that purpose, that joint purpose, that common goal. Everyone is working on their own stuff. And, and the other thing is, even if they have a, an official joint goal, it often is not their joint goal because somebody else said like, this is your goal. And so they, they don't have a buy-in. And that's why I, I really think that, um, that what, um, Nancy Nies and Diana Larson have been writing about the um, liftoff, about the actual chartering where, where they point out how important it is to have a joint vision, mission, and then also mission tests. So we kind of like test first. We also know when are we done mm-hmm. with our endeavor here. Um, that's, that's why that's so important. And, and as they described there, it is like we need to, to work on this together because otherwise we won't have that buy-in. And and if the buy-in is only not there because I don't understand, and I understand it better if maybe some of my own words are part of that vision. Uh, probably slightly going to a different topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that even 
in the early stages of your career, you mentioned conferences like Upsala and networking and being in touch with you know people, not necessarily IT and so on. Now you mentioned your uh, joint authoring work with Diana, and you've also done that before. You've co-authored, you've contributed, and so on. So how do you find time for all this? <laughs> huh. So that's that's maybe easy for me, and it's yeah. maybe a bit unfair. As I said, I got independent in '98, so it's it's a long time that I'm now independent, mm-hmm. and I can do what I do, what I think is important, and there's just nobody who tells me what to do. You know, it, it's not, and, and I remember this was really one of my big things in 98, because before that, before 98, I also was like speaking at conferences already, like a, as a young woman sharing my small talk experiences, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I ha- I struggled so much to get the, the agreement from my employer to go to that conference and even speaking about it, which meant that people knew, well, this is also a cool company or, or something like that, right? And still often I had to take time off. So I spent my vacation going to Uppsala or something like that, you know, it's uh, and paid for it for my own private money. But I, for me, this was important and I liked that and, and I Maybe right at the beginning, and it's still the case. I just like my job. I I love what I do, hmm. which is already which already means I'm I'm really blessed here. And um, so becoming independent was for me the thing. Okay, and now I can just do what I think is important, and I just do it. And um, maybe what comes also with that is, huh? That was an advice. I got from Alistair Coburn mm-hmm. in that year, 98. He told me, well, you t- there's one thing when you are independent, which is you should think about what's the maximum amount of money you want to make in a year. Mm. Not the minimum. He was talking about the yeah, maximum. Right. Mm. And he said that, and of course, well, IT is special and probably this is not really translating to other branches or professions but he said like you need to to ensure you are not putting more time into it than you think is good for you and um I, I never really followed it this way but what I followed was I I always had I'm not sure. Also, Cherry Weinberg was was advising me or recommending me on that, actually. I think I always had like a week per month where I said I will not go to it and do any client stuff. Meanwhile, I have a different approach. So, uh, well, maybe it's also I'm so used to it. So I don't have like an official strategy. But uh, a typical thing for me is I it's super seldom that I would go to a client for a full week. Mm. I would go maybe two, three days. And then the rest of the week I would need for other stuff like Mm. writing or 
preparing for conferences or helping others. I also love mentoring people um, and, and some of it is part of my job, but some of it is also volunteer work that mm-hmm. where I have people in um, in South Africa or in India and like wherever uh, where I feel like, oh, maybe I can help them. And which also gives me energy, but it doesn't give me money. So, <laughs> but the thing is, I just need to be clear that for me, this is all part of my business life and some part of my business life pays me directly and some might pay me later. Maybe mm-hmm. from whatever I do right now in terms of mentoring in 10 years, I will get a contract from that person mm-hmm. because she made a big career or something. Who knows? I don't know. Um, but sometimes it's really more paying me back in terms of that I think, well, I, I, I'm happy to help. And 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 again, it's it's although it's a long answer, it's kind of a, an easy answer for me. And the the easy comes with that being independent, and I really mean it mean it literally. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just independent. And coming back maybe to to Alistair, I also so what triggered that question of his was that I thought, well, I in fact, I don't need so much money. And it's also not not my goal to get super rich. And if this is your goal, then that's fine. But it's, it's not my goal. <laughs> if I wanted to be super rich, then I would have become a scrum instructor and a safe instructor and a whatever else instructor, mm. because that pays a lot of money. Mm. But... That was never important to me. Well, I need enough and I have enough. <laughs> that's a very powerful message. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. It is. Yes. Yeah. Very Although true. It sounds so simple. I also never thought about what is the maximum you want to make. Mm-hmm. Makes you think very differently. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so, now so maybe that's another listening. In this case, listening to your peers who have been there. Hmm. So one conflict that I go through sometimes, I also like to network, listen to different people and so on, is that you might be getting some completely divergent thoughts or ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to internalize this, when I tell something to someone, I would prefer to have experienced or internalized it myself first rather than saying that person said this, this person said this. Now, that sometimes takes a lot of effort or some reconciliation within myself to, okay, maybe in this context, this is okay, or in this context, that is not applicable, etc. So how do you do that when particularly you are networked and you work on different projects with different people? Uh, It's probably a lot of diversity, but bringing it all into the way Yuta would like to express it? Mm, I don't know if I have there some, a real strategy. Definitely I, I need, so if it's like the diversity for me, which might be conflicting that I need me time mm-hmm. in between for settling myself. Mm. I also have my, rituals that 
that keeps me keep me sane. Mm-hmm. For example, I do yoga every day, every day. Um, or yeah, or or just um, exercising definitely also helps me. Mm-hmm. Being outside, mm-hmm. but yeah, maybe the answer is really that not not forgetting about self care and and therefore about me time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. Okay, now moving on to the sustainability theme. Uh, how do you relate the larger aspects of sustainability to either a team level? I know that you also you know, speak about uh, team level sustainability for agile teams or probably other teams as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, first of all, this is this is really my my current absolute passion, and I would love it to be the passion of almost everyone because the planet is on fire. And um, when we talk about sustainability, I also would like to clarify what I mean with that, because especially in the actual field, there are like some, some understandings of sustainability, which is, for example, sustainable pace, or if we talk about making agile sustainable in an organization meaning making it long lasting stick or something like that so what what i'm talking about when i talk about sustainability then i i just like the the definition which is called the three pillar model which says sustainability is um a holistic perspective on a social pillar, an environmental, and an economic. And the social, which is also like sometimes called the human or people aspect, um, is about, maybe I translate it right away, is about if we think of software, stuff like diversity, inclusion, accessibility, equity, all of that. Then the environmental aspect might be more obvious. It is about um, thinking um, that, for example, the carbon footprint of the products we are creating or the waste we leave behind or traces we leave behind, um, both during production or product creation and in the product itself. And then the third pillar, the economic one, is about a more holistic picture of the product. If the product we are creating is really improving the lives and prospects of everyone everywhere, or if it maybe is more used for doing harm to people. So is it something that's for the better of the world? So these three pillars all together mark sustainability. And, And I think... It's about time that especially we we in IT take the responsibility for that and are not leaning back and, and saying like, well, digital will save the planet because physical things are creating the waste. Actually, it's it's absolutely not true. We create a lot of waste with 
well, especially like the the collection of the data and well, I'm I'm not much better there. I just thought yesterday I really need to clean up my Google Drive because I have data there. I don't know, it's probably twenty years old or and I don't even know anymore. However, it's stored somewhere in the cloud, which sounds like it's not on Earth, but it is. It's very physical. It needs very physical energy. And it needs cooling and it needs all kinds of stuff. So we all just, yeah, need to to take more responsibility there. And then especially also in the actual world, we could also think about using our um, skills, practices to help people to increase sustainability. And I just had this year the opportunity to work with Steve Hollier on, um, with an NGO in the environmentalism area where we use then event storming and story mapping and open space and help them to make their next steps. So we, we have a lot of tools at our fingertips that we can use to also help others. Um, and then, of course, the other thing is really looking into what are we actually creating, and is it is it helping or not? And and of course, it also has the personal aspect. If you just think of um, something like this, the phone, very often you throw it away because the software is not really running properly anymore, and therefore you, we are all buying a new one. And the same is true of what we expect from our clients for the products we are creating, that they have to throw away their hardware and get new one. Mm -hmm. And we could also focus more on keep the old stuff there. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's actually a, a thing that has changed a lot with digitalization. In the past, it was for all the products, the typical thing that they they left their biggest traces during usage. Mm. So like if you think about a car or, or I don't know, whatever, a fridge, uh, a, a house, uh, anything, mm -hmm. it's not so much the, the creation of the thing that leaves that big footprint behind. It's actually why you're using it. Now here in digitalization, it's really the opposite. If again, if you think of a phone, it's 90% of all the energy over the lifetime of a phone goes in the production of the phone, which means it doesn't really matter how much energy we save by using it. That's, that's really nothing. Mm -hmm. The thing is we shouldn't buy a new one every one or two years and the, same is true for laptops and so on. And well, again, speaking of our responsibility, ensuring that our clients can use their equipment for a much longer period of time. It's a lot to do. Yeah. So there's one question that I've asked some of my past guests, you know, people working in the so-called you know, leading edge technologies, you know, whether it is blockchain or metaverse or AI, which are all very compute intensive and not necessarily carbon neutral. Um, so where do you draw a line between development or applying, say, uh, technology for new solutions that are not possible earlier? And yeah, while you did say that uh, 
yeah, there is a lot of probably junk that we have as data. Uh, that yes. data is also fueling a lot of new applications, whether it is a simple thing like uh, the Google Maps for navigation. Unless they get that data, it cannot be accurate. And if it is not accurate, people will not use it. Mm. Or in the security systems or even in uh, cybersecurity, uh, getting into a lot more of analytics, which requires a lot of data to be stored and analyzed. What could be a way to find the right balance? Hmm. I I think it overall we need to be more aware of what we are using and why we are using it and if it's really helping or not. And and we we don't even need to think so big. So even if I think of a regular backlog and we are looking into well how is it prioritized and we keep working on the stories a great start would be if we also look at what are, which of the stories are actually used later on we we all have at least i guess so we all have heard about word that just about 20 percent of all the features in word are actually used so 80%, so it's a classical Pareto thing, 80% of the stuff that's just sitting there and it is maintained and it whatever. And and the same is, I bet, true for the systems we are creating. Hmm. It's not just Microsoft. It's all of us. And then, of course, when we talk to, to the client, then everything is super important and they want it all. And maybe they also think they want it, but then later on they figure it's not so important and not so useful as they thought. And so we also need to learn to get rid of stuff again. I, yeah, maybe that's that's a, a big thing. Mm-hmm. And we are not good at that. Yeah. Getting rid of stuff. We, we just pile up things. And um, that's, that's really something we need to do. So not even... Not even going as big as what what you mentioned, like AI and metaverse and and all of that. I personally try to stay away from it for various reasons. Like um, I'm staying away from the whole Zuckerberg um, family because I don't trust the family to treat my data well. I'm too German here, I guess. (laughs) That's really a typical German thing, I guess. Um, yeah, so for things like that, but we can also do our homework and look at the products that we are creating and ensuring that that they are, I don't know, sane mm-hmm. or sustainable. Hmm. Yeah, with so many moving pieces and possibly also this confusional dilemma, I would like to... Uh, before we close our conversation, ask you for some career advice. If somebody is considering a career in IT, what should they be looking at? What should they, um, how can they prepare themselves? And the second part is for people who are in their mid-career in IT, already in IT, who are probably wondering, saying, what are we creating as an impact or what am I doing here? Should I do something different? Either a change in tracks or to switch, there are people who have gone from IT into some of the social enterprises or trying to create an impact. 
on the society. Uh, mm. So looking at sustainability as a theme and IT as a domain or an industry, uh, what would be your career advice? I'm not even sure if I would differentiate between somebody who is a beginner or is um, mid-career. The thing for me is IT just offers so many different possibilities that maybe the first thing is you should think for yourself, what would you like to do? What is important to yourself? What is it you're passionate about? And there will be a job in IT for that, I, I bet, because it, it is just everywhere and it it offers so much potential. And um, yeah, also flexibility. If I also think of like the, the steps that I made and I'm always more somebody who likes to, I don't know, not not making large plans. It's more like I see where what drives me right now and this is what I'm doing it's more kind of the way how I am working however IT always offered that to me that I I could if you will reinvent myself many times in various ways and and because there is really a a place for everyone and that's that's what I really love about that. And this is also what I meant before where I said, I, I think we are really blessed in that in that profession. That's not possible for many other professions that that you have that variety, all those options and and it also pays you a living. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> on that reassuring note, uh, Yuta, I'd like to say vielen Dank. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, gerne. Danke schön. Thank you, Chef. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the software people's stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcasts at pm-powerconsulting.com.